What's going on, everybody? This is Sean of Ross Like Music. And this is the Super Sunny Love Show. I'm La Molly. This is Blue and Green Radio. Party people, this is Mr. V of Confessions of a Curly Mind, broadcasting through Blue and Green Radio. You're listening to Steve Williams at UK5.org. Welcome to the Blue and Green Sessions. Right, the vibe with DJ Ronnie Ron. Cosmic, Cosmic Radio. Twisted Soul. Futuristica Radio. You're listening to the Blue and Green podcast, and I hope you enjoy what we are going to say. Blueandgreenradio.com. Welcome, friends. You're tuned in to another episode of the Blue in Green podcast. How are you? Thank you very much for tuning in. My name's Imran. You're listening to episode 78, no less, uh, which is very, very exciting. So thanks very much for tuning in for the past episodes. And I'm very, very sure that you're uh, going to thoroughly enjoy what we have lined up for you today. Before, uh, however, uh, before we jump into today's episode, a quick reminder that you are listening to the Blue in Green podcast. And this podcast series runs in conjunction with Blue in Green Radio, the online internet radio station that broadcasts from London uh, across the whole wide world and we're very very fortunate to have an incredible array of, uh, of, of shows from across said world including Paris, uh, uh, Denver, Colorado, San Jose, California, Niigata, Japan, uh, Melbourne, Australia, uh, London, UK, Bournemouth in the UK, Solihull in the UK and uh, and more and more and more <laughs> so uh, thanks very much for tuning in we hope you'll visit us at blueingreenradio.com um, now back to today's episode super excited today's episode finds us in the wonderful company of uh, saxophonist composer writer Sam Newbold uh, he is originally from the Yorkshire Dales and he moved over to Amsterdam uh, about five years ago where he has set up uh, his base and now and is fully immersed in this wonderful culture of jazz music in Amsterdam and the Netherlands. His um, brand new album, his sophomore album release entitled Bogus Notice is released through the uh, wonderful Zenas Records um, and is due out in March 2021. It's a fantastic project. I had the incredible uh, privilege to review the album for uh, our very own UK Vibe, uh, which was a, it was a real pleasure and it was a, it's a lovely album and um, that review is subsequently, my adoration for the album, subsequently led to uh, this conversation with Sam. So thank you, obviously, to Steve Williams from UK Vibe and, uh, of course, to Sam for his company. We discussed the uh, uh, the jazz scene in the Yorkshire Dales, we com- as compared to the jazz scene in Amsterdam in the Netherlands, uh, we discussed life as an independent uh, musician. How that life has been affected, of course, by uh, the coronavirus uh, since 2020. Uh, we discussed the new project, which is a really, really great conversation. Uh, this amazing collection of musicians uh, that have been assembled for the album as well. So, uh, lots of stuff we talk. We even talk Simpsons as well. <laughs> so uh, it's a really great conversation I'm, I'm super thrilled that Sam made the time and I have no doubt that you guys will, will really enjoy uh, today's episode regular listeners of the podcast will know we feature two songs per episode the second song our closing number for the episode uh, is chosen of course by our guest uh, Sam Newbold however I have the luxury of picking the opening number and um when reviewing the music for uh, Bogus Notice, then we had to go with uh, the beautiful song for Annie, uh, featuring a lovely guest vocal from Beth Agate. I hope I'm pronouncing that Agate uh, correctly. Uh, but she sounds incredible on the album, and um, this is such a great song, and I thought a lovely introduction to said project. So, um, without further ado, friends, let me introduce you to Sam Newbold and this amazing album, and then we'll play the song, and then we'll go straight into our conversation. Uh, quick reminder, you can find Find us at blueingreenradio.com where you can find our radio stream as well as our full podcast backlist episodes. So uh, thanks very much, gang. Hope you enjoyed today's show.
you sir cool yeah i'm not actually too bad i'm um i'm in the amsterdam sun today we went out for a walk in the sun which was a nice change um but yeah just sort of getting by you know how are you doing I was gonna, yeah i'm well thank you that's very kind uh, of you to ask um i'm well yeah that was going to be one of my opening questions where where are you I, I i did suspect it was it was amsterdam you've been living there for a few years now as i understand it that's right. Yeah, we've been here for, um, let's see, I think five years now. Wow. So, yeah, I'm in Amsterdam. Um, we've been here, actually, I've been here solidly since Christmas. Um, and obviously getting back to the UK is tricky now. But, uh, yeah, we, we're, we're kind of here. We've been here for five years and we've kind of made it our base. I'm talking yeah. about myself and my, my girlfriend, Beth. Wow. Um so yeah, we've been here pretty solidly half a decade. That's it's crazy. Wow, it really doesn't I seem know. that long. It must uh, it must be an amazing there. How has it been in the last year? However, how has your life been in in the in the horrors of the last year? Yeah, uh, good question. Um, <laughs> <laughs> a difficult question. Um, well, it's been difficult in the sense that, like for all musicians and a lot of people. Um, a lot of things have come to a halt. So obviously there aren't really live gigs happening and getting together and playing with your friends is, is, uh, is near impossible and has been for almost a year now, I guess. But at the same time, um, I mean, I, I feel really lucky because I've had this album release, uh, which has kind of kept me busy for about a year or so. So, you know, I'm, I'm one of the lucky people who's, who've been occupied during this time. Um, but at the same time, I think it feels, it does feel like there has been somewhat of a kind of loss for the scene just because there's not as much live stuff happening. And I think in Holland and also back in the UK, it's a difficult time for musicians, especially jazz musicians, but generally musicians feeling a little undervalued. I've, I think that seems to be the, the general feeling. Mm. Um, and uh, it's really difficult for us 
not being able to play, but even more difficult, um, not feeling like you're maybe valued as much to society as you think you should be. Is this from a, like a government perspective in terms of how uh, how they look after people as a result of this or in other ways you mean? I think, yeah, I think that's right. I think mm-hmm. a government thing and especially when it comes to like um, support, you know, I've heard a lot of stories of people feeling like they're not getting the support that they maybe should. And also I, I read a while ago about this retraining scheme Um encouraging musicians to retrain in a different profession yes yeah that's a difficult pill to swallow you know because it this is a full-time profession whether whether you're performing or teaching or whatever it is you're doing in music and uh you know i i i I, I think that's very difficult if you're told that you could just do something else um personally i've i mean i've been through quite a lot of different um not not jobs really but like I went to university and studied philosophy. I was kind of going down the route of of a non-musician career, I guess, at one point for a very short period. And I think seeing both sides of the of the coin in that sense, like a, a, a normal professional job versus a kind of musician role that I'm in now, musician career, um, it is difficult because I think music isn't necessarily... Um, you know, like valued so heavily as a career choice, even now, you mm. know? Yeah. I've always, been, I've always been very surprised that people that have had to, I think sometimes you assume it's people are maybe doing better than, than it may seem. So, uh, you know, when you kind of realize that, oh, wow, musicians, they, they, they kind of have to take teaching jobs and uh, do singing, you know, uh, provide singing lessons or teach, mm. you know, their own instrument and things like that. You kind of realize, oh, so, Wow, the business isn't necessarily doing as sort of as well as 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 it may always seem that they might be doing. Yeah, I think that's completely true, and especially in you know, like in the kind of music that I'm involved in. So let's let's say jazz music. Um, there's a number of different things I've done outside of jazz, playing wise. You know, like with different mm-hmm. kinds of music, and if you're busy in that sense as a sideman or as or as someone who's just kind of doing session work or or whatever it is you're doing there's kind of an assumption that if you're keeping busy like that, you're very successful. Yeah. But even in those situations, like you take the work as it comes. That's Mm -hmm. how I felt. So it is pretty precarious. Yeah. In that sense, it's, um, it's an amazing, like, don't get me wrong. It's an amazing opportunity to be able to make a living from, from what you love to do. But um, it's for sure not an easy uh, thing to take on. I agree completely. Yeah. Have you have kind of felt the need to kind of look for alternative ways to kind of get yourself out there or kind of to sort of, I don't know, promote yourself in any way? Because lots of, like you said with with Zoom earlier, I mean, there are so many like musicians that have, will, will kind of connect with their bandmates via Zoom calls from different yeah. locations uh, and things like that. Have you Have you sort of felt compelled to try and kind of use say the internet uh, to your advantage or any or anything like that at all um yeah i guess <laughs> compelled yeah i guess compelled but not necessarily willing in some ways right. you know like <laughs> yeah. i uh i don't really like to self-promote at the yes. best of times um it's just kind of not it's not really i don't feel that comfortable promoting myself uh yeah. generally I'd like, I I love it when people enjoy stuff I put out and I think it is important to do that. So like, especially over the last few months where I'm trying to promote a new album generally online, because there isn't much live stuff going on. Sometimes it can feel a little bit awkward and yeah, like you say, using zoom and stuff like that and, and talking to people not in person and thinking really carefully about what you post on various social media channels and how to promote yourself in a basically like a digital uh, world. Hmm. It, yeah, it's it's a new, um, it's definitely new territory. And like I'm saying, not, not necessarily comfortable sometimes, you know? Yeah. But I was speaking to my dad over Christmas and he was telling me he'd heard a lot of stories of people, um, sort of younger people who were going into their first jobs and they were their their job titles were kind of like social media manager uh, (laughs) social media marketing manager like these roles that that i I, 
like even I hadn't really heard of. Um, right. And my dad was like, yeah, well, this is crazy. These people have jobs that make no sense. But more and more, I start to realize how crucial like that is, you know, someone who markets on social media for a living or knows how to do that. Hmm. That's kind of like the world we live in at the moment. So, yeah. you know, it's a huge area and it's something that I think as musicians or like myself as someone who's trying to promote something it's really important to have a good feeling for like how to get yourself out there on the web for sure even that sounds old-fashioned right on the web <laughs> on the world wide <laughs> web <laughs> but uh, yeah it's a new it's a definitely thing it's something i've had to learn pretty quick um, it is. You're absolutely right. I know a, a, a close friend of mine is in SEO, basically the search. Uh, what is it? Search engine optimization, where yeah. you basically work with websites to. You kind of, um, I think, so things they will say that people should do is you want to get on Google searches and you want to basically time articles that coincide with events that are happening that will make people be looking. So if you had. Uh, for example, the new Bond movie, if that was to come out later in the year, then um, since Sam Newbold would 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 do a rendition uh, of the of uh, of the Bond theme on his sax, and he would coincide it. So when people are googling <laughs> Bond Bond yeah. theme, then they would stumble onto your video because you've coinc- you've timed it to kind of coincide with internet searches and things like that. And uh, it's like, okay, yeah. my gosh, wow, it's 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 so it's incredibly involved, isn't it? As you totally, say. I'm just writing down your suggestion. <laughs> great idea <laughs> perfect <laughs> oh well excellent um, but um it's yeah it's it's just it's stuff like that which is just um yeah you're, you're absolutely right it is, a, it is a completely new kind of world to, to kind of try and navigate and it's always interesting when you talk to uh an artist because it's not always something that sits comfortably you know an artist will say i just want to create can't someone else mm. handle that part of it you know mm. and i totally totally understand but it, mm. it's always interesting is talking to, to 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 people that are kind of in a situation where they have to navigate well wear both hats so yeah. to speak but um, yeah. i take yeah you're not too comfortable with with the the webby side of things. not always not always but i think you're right like um it isn't always the first on the agenda and like it, it shouldn't be in a way because i think making the music and and making the music as 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 well as you possibly can is number one but it's kind of it's it is an unavoidable side of the um the kind of like you know the role of producer or sorry the role of like a creator or producer of new mm-hmm. music you have to you have to know how to promote it in a way people do it in loads of different ways as well you know like some people are really overt on social media and really present and some people are not, and they still are very successful in getting their stuff out. So I think it's just you've got to be aware and not be crazy about the whole thing. The music comes first, but you've got to know how to exploit it in a way, I think. Absolutely. Yeah. So you, you found that, I guess, uh, quarantine, side, uh, quarantine life aside, um, kind of delving into that portion of trying to keep yourself sort of present but you're also trying to keep yourself creative so uh, yeah. that part seems to have ticked the box fairly well i i imagine was a lot of this album made during the last year then uh yeah actually it almost entirely was written um from kind of t- the start of 2020 mm-hmm. and the whole thing was was ready to record in about june wow yeah it was very productive um for me because i'm really not like the most um structured person in terms of of especially composing you know it's it's a pretty haphazard process of Mm. is it going to happen today and generally it doesn't happen like that but having a deadline which i had i had a deadline because i was this this album was basically a commission so i had a deadline to write a new album um and also i think it came at a time where i've been living abroad for you know like i was saying about five years and I come from a part of the UK, North Yorkshire, which is completely different to places like Berlin and Amsterdam, where I've lived uh, in those five years. And the uh, when I was writing the music, um, I had a very strong feeling that I should kind of try to reflect on my upbringing in a way, 
now that I've lived away from it for a long time and having lived abroad and lived basically in cities um, compared to where I grew up, which was really like a field, you know, really rural. There's no one around basically. Um, I was kind of inspired to, to try to put that into music and that really helped with the writing process because it gave me like a bit of a storyline or a, or a kind of concept to build the music from. So I think that deadline and being kind of a little more reflective about why I'm writing music and how I want to present music to the world kind of came together, which is nice. You know, it doesn't always happen like that. Mm. But that must have been quite difficult because I guess the previous project uh, came out, as I understand, late 2019. Blaine Cathro yeah. came out quite... So you were ready to or ready to go almost straight away, it seems, which is really exciting. Yeah, that that was a little bit stressful, to be honest, um, <laughs> which again, I mean, I, I was in the really lucky situation to have to, to have just released an album. And then it was literally like two weeks later, um, I was commissioned to write another one. So, I mean, that's yeah. amazing. It was a great, great feeling, but there is pressure for sure. Absolutely. And there's generally, I think there's a feeling amongst composers that you can kind of, run out of um you know steam at some point if you try to write too much i certainly have that feeling almost like i have a limited amount of stuff i can get out it's a weird weird feeling but mm. actually to be honest i think having that forward momentum and knowing that i had written stuff before um is a good thing you know there's nothing worse than than not doing something for a long time like composition and then that feeling that one day you're going to have to sit down at the piano and and get something out it's i don't i hate that feeling so in a way it was i guess in like in hindsight probably good that i was already in the in the creative mindset in a way do you kind of find i suppose having started the second project so soon after the first is there any part of you that's very conscious of right this has to sound completely different or i want it to be a continuation of the past project was there a mindset of trying being very conscious of doing going in a different direction um that is a really good question because um especially in my context i was using the, basically the same band same mm. instrumentation so i don't think it was at the forefront of my um you know as i was writing trying to be different but Certainly, I approached the process of writing and used, you know, ideas that avoided, I basically avoided using the same ideas. Right. But it wasn't, I don't think, I don't think it was something that I was massively concerned about because I find that the whole writing process, if you use, if you start with a different idea, like the germ of a different idea, which is what basically most of my writing starts from an idea which is not the same as a previous idea right um if it becomes something that sounds similar to other songs it doesn't bother me too much but also like i don't know i mean i'm not like a pro i haven't written loads and loads and loads of music so i still feel like i'm a beginner at this and sometimes just getting ideas down and presenting presenting them to a band is like a small um victory you know Mm. and whether it sounds like something or not doesn't concern me massively. I think actually one of the things that I am really concerned about in the writing is how a set of music will come together for the live context. That right. tends that tends to dictate how I write. So like on this album, on Bogus Notice, I wrote the album more as a set. Like if we were to present this live, what kind of song might want to come next, you know? Mm. And I think... When I, when I did it like that, it kind of translates into the album quite successfully, even though obviously it's not a live performance. Um, and the same with the first album. It was more like if I had to write a set, what would it, what would come next? Right. Oh, that's really cool. I suppose another aspect of it is with no, no specific concerns of it sort of being a continuation of the previous project and that it was starting with an entirely new inspiration which mm. as you sort of described was sort of a uh, reflection of of home uh, and uh, it's a really I love that is there's this wonderful kind of air of mystery with that approach that because mm. there are times I can listen to Bogus Notice and think this is a love letter mm. to, to home but then there's this this wonderful dichotomy of 
something being really really uh beautiful but then something having a, a this this harsh reality attached to it at the same time so you kind of think it's it's it's, it's such a perfectly balanced concept that it and uh, it, just sort of listening to it and sort of looking at the visuals of it it sort of sits right in the middle and it kind of leaves this this air of mystery of like, are you celebrating or are you mourning <laughs> that's <laughs> that really, that's such a nice way to describe it i mean oh, right. that, that's exactly what it is you know it's um it actually kind of started off as like a humor thing so i i i kind of i was thinking about okay what how do i how do i deal with home in my writing and the first thing you think of if you grow up somewhere, which is, you know, uh, very, it's a very beautiful part of the world, is this beauty aspect of the basically the physical landscape. And ideas spring to mind of like huge valleys and, and you know, like North Yorkshire has this kind mm. of like ruggedness and beautiful nature, natural landscape. But then a lot of the times I think about home, it's kind of like humor and funny stuff related to that. And one of the things that um, generally springs to mind as a teenager is, uh, so when I was a teenager, I had quite long hair, like shoulder length hair that I used to tie up in a, in a beautiful little top knot. <laughs> and uh, I just remember going into pubs and going around town or wherever, whatever I was doing as a, as a teenager and just feeling so out of place with that top knot mm. and, and feeling that, like you don't belong in a way because you don't fit into the, like in that sense, you don't look like everybody else. Yeah. The template, yeah. the template. And I don't know, that sounds kind of harsh to, to, to paint an entire part of the world like that. But that for me really stuck out. It always has that feeling of loving where you come from and feeling very connected to the landscape. But then sometimes just now and again, feeling completely out of place and it was from that that I really got this kind of the dark side of life in the North Yorkshire or the Yorkshire Dales, you know. Mm. And there was a lot of stuff to do, you know, like the weather is generally pretty bad there. And there's all you always hear people talk about the weather in the UK anyway. <laughs> but but I, I remember hearing a lot of people talk about the weather kind of encroaching on, on the landscape, you know, like storms could wash away roads. Um, and farmers would often talk about how the weather was damaging their livelihoods, which, of course, I'm not making light of that. But it always stuck in my head that that we were under threat somehow in this in this part of the world from the weather. So that was another thing, you know, it's kind of like beauty and then mixed with threat and darkness, feeling like you're an outsider. And then, yeah, I think this just kind of came together in the music in a way the, the music has a lot of kind of like folkish as you say, this kind of like beautiful side to it. But then there's some parts that are really dark and I tried to write harmony and 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 use the drums in a way which is quite heavy and dark. So I think, I mean, I think you summed it up perfectly, basically. That's what I'm going for. Yeah, well, absolutely. Um, I think you've yeah, absolutely accomplished that, mm. uh, I think, just from listening to it. And it's, it's almost a question I don't want to ask in terms of, I know you've, you've in a roundabout way answered it, but I wasn't going to ask you directly, which one is it? You know, because it's it sort of adds to the mystique of the album, I think, to to kind of just have that as a lingering question. So mm. it's, uh, yeah, it's very uh, effective and powerful in, in that context. So uh, mm. well done to you, sir. Thanks a um, lot. What is uh, like a... What is like a, a jazz scene like out there as you're kind of learning to to play and you're discovering this music and you know um, if you know I'm sure you're very aware say South London at the moment is sort of thriving with uh, uh, with jazz uh, kind of musicians that have, uh, are coming up constantly from Nubby Garcia to uh, Jake Long and Joe Armand Jones etc cetera, etc cetera. but um, from where you were growing up was it as a, a popular heralded art form there or is that you mean else then? You, you mean in the Yorkshire Dales? Yes, totally <laughs> not. <laughs> I think you, I, you it kind of suggested it with the question. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, you know, you, you might have surprised me. You might have said, "Hey, I was in this with the scene, and there was a yeah, bunch yeah. of us, and we were all having these times together." So, I think well, I wasn't sure. to be fair, I mean, so basically, no, in in the sense <laughs> that there was not there was not a jazz scene there in the <laughs> traditional sense. Um, like in London or South London or, or any city. But um, my formative years of music 
were massively important because um, I went to sort of like Saturday music school in the local town where I kind of played like big band music, like Glenn Miller, big band music, and totally got a feeling for improvisation, you know? It wasn't like the highest level and mm. and there wasn't really a scene in that sense. There weren't jam sessions and, and you know, opportunities to get out and just play. But I definitely had a good chance to play in bands, to play in big bands, to read music, to develop my ability on the horn. And also I was really lucky in my high school, my uh, music teacher is a guy called Simon Gregory, was a massive fan of, of jazz. And he was a good pianist as well. And he would give me, I, sh- I showed an interest pretty quickly uh, when I got to high school in, in jazz. And he would give me uh, like burnt CDs, you know, like burnt copies of CDs. I remember him giving me kind of blue wow. and all kinds of stuff. Like it was, I mean, it's kind of a cliche story. I think a lot of, um, a lot of musicians are exposed to this music by, by sort of their teachers or, or somebody they meet um, who, who knows the music and kind of takes them under their wing. But that is what happened. I was lucky with, with, with Simon Gregory. He, he kind of, yeah, got me into it. And he had, he, he ran these little jazz combos at school, uh, at lunchtime where I'd play with some friends, you know, we'd play standards. So I can't write it off. I can't write my, um, you know, my formative years off for sure. But it wasn't until I got to Berlin or I, I was in London just a bit before Berlin that I kind of started to go to jam sessions and really feel what it was all about. And it was terrifying. I mean, like, yeah. if you get if you just go to a session and you've never come across how these things work, I remember thinking it was just weird, like just getting up and just playing with people you'd never spoken to before. It just felt really strange and massively embarrassing and probably, like, absolutely terrible. But... Uh, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think um, I think I was I was I had a good upbringing in that sense. Is there a comfort attached to it now? Could you just walk into a room with absolute strangers and comfortably sort of pick up and join in? Uh, to an extent, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, I, I'm I'm happy to play with anyone. I kind of really relish that actually, especially right now. I feel like I haven't done that for ages, but because um, of COVID, of course. But um, yeah, I, I mean, it's great. It's kind of what it's all about. I, I especially liked that about moving abroad. Um, in Berlin, for example, there were musicians who'd show up at sessions from all over the world, quite often not speaking the same language. And you could just play, you know. You just play songs that you kind of know, which is amazing. I mean, there aren't many other... I can't think of many other activities where you can just everybody speaks the same language in that sense. Everybody mm. knows, you know, the same kinds of tunes. So yeah, I, I, I feel like I can do that. It doesn't mean it always goes perfectly well, right? <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I, I mean, it's kind of what it's all about for me, plug in and play in a way, you know, just, uh, just, just get the horn out and just blow and see what happens. Mm. Amazing. You started with drums, is that right? That was your as a as a youngling. That was what you initially gravitated towards. It was, yeah. Um, you still play? I actually do. Oh, I actually have. A, I bought a kit um, over here recently just because I I needed a place to rehearse, and uh, and because a lot of um, you know like you know, places to rehearse are currently closed. I thought I'd get a kit so I could set it up in the flat which is one of the best things I've done because the drums are the best thing ever. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I started as actually as kind of like a percussionist. It was weird. I was really small. I think I was seven, six or seven. And kind of a funny story. I used to go to Saturday music school to play the percussion in the junior wind band. And at the time I was obsessed with like khaki clothing, you know, like <laughs> camouflage clothing. I don't know why it wasn't connected to like being in the armed forces or anything. I just, I just wanted to get that khaki on. <laughs> and uh i used to go in like completely full khaki i think i even had a hat and just play the play the percussion play the glockenspiel you know awesome amazing yeah i just wish i i wish i had footage i can't i haven't found anything but that was kind of my thing that was my jam you know just get your khaki on go to music school play the percussion um 
but that, I mean, that didn't last long. Obviously, you can't really do that as a as a thirty one year old adult. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. How did it transition to to saxophone? Probably, um, I think. Yeah, it was at high school. Uh, oh, in fact, that's a good story. I went to high school and I wanted to play drums in the big band um, of of high school. And this guy Simon Gregory, the music teacher there, told me that. Um, there were no, there was no space for a drummer. They already had like a, a, a list of people who wanted to play drums, but there was space for a saxophone player. And if I wanted to play saxophone, the school would give me a horn, you know, kind of to rent, but it was a brand new horn. So of course I was like, yeah, you know, <laughs> I don't know what a saxophone is, but <laughs> let's do it. And, um, and yeah, that was kind of it really. I just, uh, I, I think. I I th- I think I've I really just wanted to play music at that point and maybe I didn't realize that it was I could play anything you know besides the drums. I think I was pretty obsessed with the drums. Um and being given something else just I I had the same obsession pretty much straight away with the saxophone. Um I remember as a, when I got the horn I took it home kind of set it up. I think I put the mouthpiece on the wrong way round. <laughs> which is a great start but then i used to just like play along to tv adverts try to play along with stuff like that oh that's cool yeah um and just kind of had it i always had the horn around my neck i remember for the first few weeks or whatever i just was kind of obsessed so yeah it wasn't a difficult transition i've been asked that before and i've quite often thought like how did i switch from drums to sex and it not really be an issue but i just think i was really obsessed with making sound regardless of the instrument were there any mm. other instruments that nearly benefited from your uh your <laughs> at all or um i think at one point i wanted to play the tenor horn mm. or the tuba but i was probably too small to play the tuba <laughs> but i was kind of i always remember being really surprised that people could make so many sounds with three buttons you know like yes. a trumpet which still is pretty amazing. Um, but yeah, I can't really remember. I do remember tenor horn being a thing. I remember I wasn't allowed to play that because I didn't have my two teeth at the front. Oh, right. I, that was how small I was. Um, obviously, the sax, that wasn't a problem. But um, yeah, I think I'd have played anything, to be honest. I think a lot of people say Lisa Simpson was inspiration for saxophone players, but... I don't think that was the case with me. I just think it was it was kind of given, it was offered. So, you know, I took the offer. Oh, so you wouldn't cite Lisa? <laughs> That's such a shame. I, I think that would be, I would be giving her too much credit. <laughs> Maybe in later life. I mean, she she's cool and, and The Simpsons has some cool saxophone moments, but it wasn't, I don't remember it being like an inspiration early on. I'm very happy you mentioned Simpsons because just about 30 seconds or a minute ago, I, I made a, a subliminal Simpsons faux pas and I actually referenced the saxophone. Oh, no. Uh, I, and, and you glossed over it and I thought, oh, <laughs> he's either a diehard Simpsons fan and he picks up the Homer reference or, or he's thinking, oh, he's a moron. <laughs> no, absolutely not. Absolutely not. No one, yeah. no one who says that is a moron. It's, it's a great... <laughs> It's funny how enduring that is, right? Yeah, it really is. That one's, I don't know. Like, that is, like, I, I saw that uh, episode where Homer says, sucks on my phone. And right. he, that, I saw that years ago. And that's just my default setting. I can't not say that first. <laughs> like, it's like, that's the official. It's like, yeah. And I have to stop myself sometimes. Sex, and obviously I got it wrong. You have to be careful. It's like, a, if it's like a formal uh, conversation. Yes. Yeah, exactly. you don't want to drop Fail. the sax- saxophone in. <laughs> <laughs> you went on to uh, to study uh, philosophy, as you mentioned earlier. I'm very curious about this um, in uh, Durham. Uh, mm. Has that? I suppose. Well, I suppose the, I was going to ask. Do you think that that's played into your music at all? But I think we've really addressed this in, in regards to Bogus Notice. Uh, in that, I think it probably had, has impacted probably how you write. Would you say so? 
how do you i'm just kind of interested to oh well i think about that kind of dichotomy that we talked about with uh bogus notice being uh, both a love letter to Mm. uh to home but at the same time probably uh not and it's kind of like it's almost it's it's a philosophical approach in its own way that's an uninformed opinion but no i think i mean i i think you're right um i think it's definitely studying something like philosophy uh makes you think in different ways for sure and i think that's definitely an element considering you know like being reflective about your home and what homeliness is all about and mm. you know we all consider home to be somewhere that's safe but then what if it's what if you're kind of estranged 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 um, <laughs> in your in your home so yeah for sure but also i think studying something other than music in my case has given me skills in kind of like organizing my thoughts in a in a logical way, which sounds kind of like lofty, you know. It sounds philosophical <laughs> no, no, no. itself. But <laughs> I I was thinking about this recently, and I think studying um, a subject where you have to write a lot, you know, write words. I had to write essays um, about topics which are really complex. Has really played into how I write music in a way, and. One of the things I learned at university was use small ideas and develop them um, in the course of an essay instead of using too much information and trying to get it all together. And that's definitely plays that definitely plays into my writing, you know, mm. small the smallest ideas and trying to trying to develop them in a really creative way. And that's something I've had to really get used to. As I remember when I began composing, I was just trying to throw everything in, you know throw as much in as possible and then you end up with such a dense piece of music or whatever it is that it's kind of unmanageable in some ways so that definitely rings a bell when whenever i think like that it reminds me of how i used to think at university writing Mm. as well um and also like more broadly i think studying a different subject can kind of gives you gives you a bit more perspective yeah I think that's helped me quite a bit, especially as someone who's moved abroad and deals with people from all over the world, from different cultures, different languages, you know, different perspectives. I think having a bit more experience in, I was was about to say the outside world, but philosophy in Durham isn't really the outside world. (laughs) But having something else, I think, helps to, to, you know, like to get on in that environment. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well put. That's very cool. You mentioned mm. uh, something else I was wanted to ask about, which you've uh, sort of transitioned to nicely, uh, was just sort of Amsterdam uh, itself and the, the Netherlands. I mean, uh, sort of you're obviously from the UK. You're uh, sort of looking at members of your quintet. It's it's kind of fascinating because you've got uh, young Wu Lee's from South Korea. Mm. Uh, originally, Guy Salomon, as I understand, is from Israel. Mm. I mean, is, is Amsterdam genuinely like, or the Netherlands in general, sorry, is it this this incredible hub of people that are really sort of flocking there from different places? Is it is it as eclectic a, a, an, an environment as seen as it would appear to be? Uh, I think actually it is, yeah. And I think especially the conservatory, uh, which is where I met all my band, um, is in, an incredible melting pot of people from really all over the world, you know? Like my band in a way isn't an exception it's kind of encapsulates the conservatory environment Mm. and amsterdam isn't the biggest city but the conservatory is a big conservatory and i think it has a pretty big impact on the scene here in amsterdam a lot of the a lot of the people who 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 are here playing um either came from the conservatory or teach at the conservatory so you know the Amsterdam scene is kind of synonymous with this, with the CVA, the conservatory. And in that sense, it really is, you know, I, I'm, I feel so lucky here to, to mix, you know, with people from really all over the world. And um, even in the block that I live in, which is a, it's kind of like a musician's block of flats. There's people from all over here on my corridor, you know, even, even on the corridor, the Spanish, French, Italian, South Korean, so, yeah, in a way, it, it kind of is. And actually, when I come back to London, it is one of the things I sometimes notice that 
it doesn't have such a huge mix of people from all over the world compared right. to Amsterdam, for example. Amazing. That's really interesting. I, uh, you know, it wasn't, um, I wasn't actually aware of what a kind of just this, like a hub mm. uh, that that it that it had to sort of become. I obviously I'm very familiar with the, the incredible music that emanates from it, but yeah, it was the, when you take that time to sort of look at where everyone has come from, it's like oh my mm. gosh, this is this is must be incredibly inspiring to be around. It is, and again, like going back to the thing about feeling like you're more rounded, maybe for different for experiencing different things personally as someone who grew up somewhere that's very, I don't want to say homogenous, but like uh, it's not the most diverse part of the world, at least where I, where I grew up in my local area. Um, I feel so lucky to, to have the opportunity to, to experience people from or meet people and experience, you know, uh, different cultures and, and people who have had such different experiences of life than myself um, you know, I didn't really move abroad to, to with that intention to get that, but it's definitely, I feel like that's what I've experienced. Amazing. Uh, yeah. It must be amazing to be around. That's, that's wonderful. Um, it is. Yeah. Uh, and another sort of, uh, you know, incredible hub to kind of be around would be, uh, the wonderful catalog, obviously of, uh, Zenna's records. Am I pronouncing mm-hmm. that correctly? Zenna's? Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, they're, they're, you know, what a, what an incredible kind of label to sort of be affiliated with. Uh, uh, what are you, uh, what are your kind of experiences with, with kind of being on the label and everything that building up to the official release of the album? Yeah. Um, Zenith is great. I think you're absolutely right. It's got a great uh, roster of young musicians like myself. Um, well, maybe young's the wrong word. Upcoming. <laughs> uh, <laughs> upcoming musicians uh who yeah i i remember we you, you mentioned this um before um of like musicians who are kind of pushing for something a bit different maybe right yeah um i think that's really the ethos that they're going for and john uh, vias who runs the label um is really a fan of the music and definitely a fan of of upcoming musicians who are who are trying to you know are aiming for something a bit more personal, a bit different, a bit more diverse. So it's an ama- it's a really great label to be on for sure. And John's super supportive with basically everything I'm going for. So it's really nice. And uh, you know, he really lets me do he lets me do what I want to do and make the decisions I want to make. So it's a great support. Um, you hear a lot of stories about labels now being something that maybe weren't uh, or are not as kind of influential as they were in the past Mm. um especially in jazz and i think maybe there is a sense that labels have changed their role from i don't know something that kind of like made stuff happen for musicians like albums and recordings and stuff maybe these days they're more of a kind of like facilitator um for promotion or for I don't know, like advice and stuff like that. They don't necessarily cover stuff like costs for, I don't know, recordings or printing or whatever it is yeah. in every case. Um, and certainly for me, that has been the case. I think John is just a really good, and the label is a really good source of information and experience. And for someone like me, who's kind of upcoming, I don't really have all the answers to um, questions of publicity and, and promotion. So in that sense, it's really, uh, it's great. They're really good for that. Yeah. Yeah. It, it is interesting when you kind of uh, sort of assess the record labels kind of relevance, as you say, in uh, in sort of this day and age, because uh, there's varying degrees of support and um, uh, involvement that certain mm. labels will have. It appears across various, uh, you know, projects. And I think sometimes with a, a just that being attached to a label uh, that carries quite a lot of weight in its name can be the sole advantage, which isn't mm. necessarily a bad thing, but uh, it's great to kind of have uh, labels around that are still willing to kind of help develop and be a part of the process sort of as an entire project. Definitely. And like we were saying at the start, you know, like stuff like online promotion is, yeah. is so important um, that maybe that's where the labels these days come into their own. Mm-hmm. 
And like you say, they have, I feel like they have changed their role. If you look at historically what labels do, um, like that's totally what I'm finding with Zeners is that they're just there as a helping hand for stuff that I just don't have as much experience in like online, you know, online promotion or, or just, just passing stuff um, by like questions, like, I don't know, um, how should I, how should I write this email to this person? Like that, that's a question sometimes that if you're, if you're releasing stuff by yourself, you don't really, you have to kind of work it out, which is cool. It's good to work stuff out, but it's also really nice to have someone to just, you know, exchange ideas with. Um, so yeah, I, I really think the labels are important. Like you say, it carries weight and, and personally, they're just, it's just good to have someone to touch base with now and again. Mm. Wonderful. Yeah. My penultimate question to you, sir, is uh, now I guess we're sort of in the same situation you were at the end of 2019, but uh, is there any thoughts given to a, a follow-up project at this point, or are you going to say, no, I'm going to enjoy the, the space in between a little bit now? Um, hmm. There is, I am. I mean, I'm in the process of writing now uh, smaller ensemble stuff, like duo stuff. Um, and I guess that's the next project, really. But I mean, I, I always try to keep writing. I think it's really important to keep the momentum there, keep the flow to an extent, even if the music never sees the light of day. But certainly, like I've done two albums with the same sized ensemble, quite large ensemble. Um, and I'm ready for a change in that sense, like a complete change in the instrumentation, maybe a change of, of influence or inspiration. Um, I'm really interested in folk music, especially. Right, of course. So, um, and old English folk music inspires me a lot, like Thomas Tallis, Henry Purcell, these, uh, not necessarily folk, I guess, but... Um, that kind of writing, like traditional music. So I'm really inspired by that. And I think, um, I guess that's the upcoming project, but it's really hard to to try to formulate any plans at the minute. So course, I'm just yeah. kind of taking it like day by day in that sense. I haven't, I haven't planned anything for more than a month in advance, really. And I just, I'm trying to just enjoy um, being a musician, trying to write and enjoying that process as much as possible. So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, there's nothing in the pipeline in that sense, but right. I'm always thinking ahead a little bit about what kind of stuff I might want to do. The The duo project sounds fascinating. Sam Newbold on sax and Sam Newbold on drums. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. That's perfect. Well, there you go. In full camo as well. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> that's perfect yeah oh that was the missing link i knew it yeah, yeah there was yeah that's my usp the, the camo playing duo <laughs> um yeah. uh thank you so much for your time uh, i mentioned my penultimate question i have uh one final one which i mentioned uh previously is that we always ask our guests to pick a uh closing number to end the show with uh something from uh bogus notice something you're a fan of anything at all that you'd like to send people home happy with yeah i thought i'd go for the concrete caterpillar from bogus oh, notice brilliant bit of a selfish choice but no um, it's the perfect one i think it i think it kind of captures what we've talked about um so yeah hopefully it's a nice kind of like wrap up yes it's a perfect pick probably my well, arguably my favorite one of my two favorites i think oh nice uh for from from the uh from the album so you know it's a perfect pick <laughs> 